I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast, our review of 2015, a year in gardening. As regular listeners will know, every fortnight on our podcast, we bring you a mixture of features and discussions, exploring every aspect of gardening, growing your own fruit and vegetables, plant care, pest control, garden design and container ideas, plus expert seasonal advice on what you should be doing in your garden throughout the year. In our podcasts, members of the RHS advice team tackle some of the gardening queries you've sent in to them. We visit the specialist garden teams at RHS Wisley to see what key jobs they're undertaking throughout the year. And we join the garden visitors enjoying stunning seasonal displays at all four RHS gardens. Wisley in Surrey, Harlow Carr in North Yorkshire, Rosemore in Devon and Hyde Hall in Essex. There's something for everyone who loves gardens. I'm Jenny Bowden, one of the RHS's team of horticultural advisors. Let's hear some of the gardening moments we featured in the last 12 months. January, the coldest month. In January, when the UK weather can be at its worst, your garden may need protecting from frosts, gale force winds and heavy rain. Check stakes, ties, fleeces and other supports and think about moving plants to sunnier positions to maximise light. Here's where container-grown plants have a distinct advantage. Don't forget to keep feeding the birds as food gets scarcer. January is a great time to plan. You can pour over the seed catalogues and start planning your fantasy flowers. Start mapping out next year's vegetable plot, redesigning areas of your garden or selecting plants for the places with more difficult growing conditions. I spoke to Matthew Pottage, who's recently been appointed curator of RHS Garden Wisley, about how to deal with problematic growing conditions. We're just going to have a bit of a chat about dry shade. It's a situation that we get called about a lot in the advisory department. Seems to cause people a lot of problems, but um, we like dry shade. How many people in their roles say that at work? I like dry shade. Let's talk about dry shade. Well, I absolutely agree with you because we've got a couple of big woodland areas at Wisley, especially Battleston Hill springs to mind. And there's loads of dry shade, you know, and the big pine trees and the big oaks. And I always think, and I always say to people, you know, work with the conditions. There's a lot you can do with dry shade. Uh, I actually don't think it needs to be a problem. No, I suppose uh, the first thing to do is get composting. 
Um, there's obviously a lot of roots to, to, to dig through underneath trees, um, but if you can improve the soil conditions by adding organic matter, uh, then that is going to really help with holding on to moisture in the soil and get things established. Once things are established, they're much more able to look after themselves and uh, hopefully not need your help with, with the watering. But certainly in the first season, uh, watering is needed. Um, organic matter, leaf mould, collect up leaves, stack them up, put them in bin bags, punch a few holes in the bags, um, make sure they don't dry out. And a year later, you'll have uh, leaf mould. You can use recycled garden waste. The councils supply that. You can use uh, farmyard manures. Anything that says soil conditioner on the bag down at the garden centre is worth mixing into the soil over the whole area not in the planting holes themselves but over the whole area and then plant your plants and how is things start small you know get bulbs going under their bulbs normally want to be in the shade of the trees and then once you've got some bulbs in start with some perennials or some smaller shrubs and kind of build up from there so you get that whole kind of you know the, the woodland garden look if you like uh, and obviously I always say to people if you've got really low down tree branches but you've got big trees you know if there's any way you can slightly lift the lower branches of the tree so you've got some space you let a bit of filtered light through if it is completely dark uh, that always is a good start and with our trees at Wizzy, we just blow well maybe we're lazy you might roll your eyes at me but we just blow the leaves back under the trees you know and let the worms do the work and just build up as you say that organic matter that soil conditioner yeah, I think there's also, there's a lot of opportunities um, with the types of plants you use. Uh, if you look if you look up in the in the horticultural books encyclopedias, and uh, a lot of plants will say full sun, but you don't actually have to have full sun for some of the plants. Uh, so it, it all takes a bit of experience. It depends. It does depend how deep the shade is, and as Matt says, how low down the branches are. If there's any possibility of raising the canopy so that more light can get in, that's going to be an advantage. You're not going to get a lot of summer colour in shade, um, and that 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 can be problematic. So you kind of turn to foliage textures contrasts foliage color etc and it can be a lot of fun to, to play around with mm. those textures all your color is going to come from the spring a big spring display you know before the canopy leafs out mm. that, that's the nature of of the woodland planting but as you say there's so much fun you can have with foliage colors and lighting up shade uh, takes me to one of my favourite topics, which is variegated plants. You know, I love variegated <laughs> plants. And just seeing, I'm just looking in your your latest article on dry shade in the Garden Magazine, Jenny. And there's a lovely image of a silver uh, pulmonaria. It's got like a lovely silvery leaf. Pulmonarias are great, but also some of the silver leaf selections of Cyclamen hederifolium, lighter brush space. Branera. Is it Jack Frost? Jack Frost. Dawson's white with the white variegation. Brilliant. And you rightly mentioned, because people overlook them, Pittosporum tenuifolium can take some shade. We've actually got an Irene Patterson, the cultivar name, under some dry shade on the eucalyptus garden at, at Wisley on the Med Terrace. And that's doing really well. And it lights up the space with that white on the leaf. And even though, you know, maybe some of our plants people listening might roll our eyes at hearing this, but some of the evergreen euonymus. That little one with cuensis with a small green leaf yeah. spreads, layers, like little waves. And then, you know, your bulbs can come through something as low as that. Uh, there's real fun to be had. Uh, epimediums with their uh, with their spring flowers you can uh, have a lot they're, they're superb for dry yeah, shade yeah. and uh, of course cyclamen under, under pines where nothing else will grow cyclamen are are the um the 
one of the key they're plants. Great. They're absolutely brilliant. And with your epimediums, you know, they are that great evergreen foil. And then late January, early February, just before those flowers start to come through, take the shears over the epimediums, whip off all the leaves, and then you see all the flowers, because sometimes the flowers can be obscured by the foliage. Uh, and they're good. They're, they're a bearbrist relative, aren't they, epimediums? Mm-hmm. They certainly are. You'd never know it. You'd never know it, would you? No, they're quite different. But they're good good bomb-proof, creeping uh, plants for that situation. February, snowdrop time. The month for galanthophiles everywhere. This month, there are signs of the approaching spring. Not just snowdrops, but iris, and you get early daffodils. And my favourite part of the garden at this time is down at the bottom of Battleston Hill, and um, we call it Smelly Corner. It's full of scented mahonias and daphnes and shrubby honeysuckles, and it really is absolutely gorgeous at that time of year. Hello, I am Markus Rathscheid, one of the garden managers at the RHS flagship garden at Wisley. And I have to tell you, when I moved from Germany to England in order to work at the RHS gardens, I immediately picked up the love to snowdrops. I would like to share a few of my thoughts in enriching your garden with this beautiful white-flowered early messengers of spring, I would love to give you some ideas how to make your snowdrops in your garden at home brighten up the dark days of the winter. Now first, let's have a look what snowdrops really are. Snowdrops are bulbs. They're producing little bulblets during the summertime in order to propagate themselves. Snowdrops originally grow between France and Georgia and Turkey, where the highest diversity of snowdrop lies. There are about 20 species of snowdrops. They are called galantos. But only four of those species are the source for our very many cultivars or cultivated versions that you grow in your garden. So I have to tell you a little bit about letter names now. One of the snowdrops is a common one, snowdrop Galantus nivalis. The other one is Galantus plicatus. The third one, with a more brighter leaf, more fleshy leaf, is Galantus vronovii. And the next one and the fourth one that you need to keep remembering is Galantus elwesii, named after Henry John Elwes of Coldsborne Park in the Cotswolds. Now why are they so good for your garden? Because you can wonderfully plant your snowdrops with other most useful winter plants to give you a brilliant color feature, a firework in the dark days of the year. Plant your snowdrops with Arantes and Hellebores. This gives you a colorful mix under your winter flowering shrubs like Cornus midwinter fire or in the vicinity your various Daphnes, a bit of evergreen, evergolden hollies can enhance your color. But the connoisseurs planting 
the most kind of designery planting is if you get your black grass. It's called Ophiopogon, Planis capos. If you get this one and underplant it with snowdrops, you get a most astonishing display. The black foliage of this Japanese grass-like plant, Ophiopogon, Planiscapus nigrescens, mixed with snowdrops in January and February, that's really the best you can get in terms of color contrasts. March is one of the busiest months as warmer weather brings the garden alive. There's borders to be dug and new plants to be settled in. There's still time to plant trees, shrubs and new herbaceous perennial plants. If you're planning a nesting box for birds this year, now's the time to put one up before the nesting season sets in. Also, be prepared for the inevitable invasion of slugs, snails and other pests. So take plenty of precautions now to provide protection. It's also the last chance to see our famous annual Butterflies in the Glasshouse experience at Wisley. Each year, thousands of iridescent tropical insects fly gracefully amongst the flowers and plants. It is a magical sight and astounds visitors of all ages, first-timers, veterans and even RHS staff like me. There's nothing like it spending a lunch break in a tropical paradise. The butterflies are in residence from Saturday the 16th of January until Sunday the 6th of March. So remember to book your visit so you don't miss out. Hi, I'm Peter Jones, the team leader for the glass houses here at RHS Wisley. So uh, some of the plants you might see is our Caliandra, the red powder puff tree. Uh, which looks, as it sounds, like a big red powder puff that you would apply your makeup to in the 30s. And that really attracts uh, butterflies like the Asian swallowtail and the Great Mormon, uh, which are large butterflies about the same size of your palm, with flecks of red and yellow on their wings and little tails on the end, uh, as the name suggests, like swallows. Other butterflies you might see is the, the very popular blue morpho with its uh, large iridescent blue wings and its cousin the white morpho which is almost pure white uh, and again about the same size as, your, as a, a palm. Other cool butterflies you might see are the little tiny glass wings uh, about the same size of your two thumbs together shall we say uh, and their wings are translucent. Uh, and they're really rather difficult to spot, but they're so fun when you see them flitting around other plants we've got in the glass house, like our lantana. Uh, lantana, which uh, most people might know as a plant that you bed out during the summertime. Um, they're, they're, they're excellent nectar plants for some of the, the butterflies that we have in. Also, when you're walking around, you'll see little tables of uh, rotting fruit, which a lot of our fruit-feeding butterflies land on, and you'll be able to see them feed with their proboscis, going into bits of pineapple and citrus. It's such an, a popular event for all the family, old uh, or young. Uh, it's a great thing for getting the children to come and see. They love seeing uh, something different and all the little butterflies flying around. A quite a magical experience. And also, say, if you're a budding photographer and you want to come and uh, hone your camera skills. April. Daffodils and flowering trees start to blossom and spring is definitely here. Despite the inevitable April rain, it's time to turn your attention to the lawn, if you have one. It's an exciting time for gardeners. Indoor sown seeds are starting to grow well and you can now start sowing outdoors. Just watch out for those frosts. 
Hello, I'm Guy Barter. I work in the gardening advice team at Wisley Gardens in Surrey for the Royal Horticultural Society. Lawns look pretty manky over the winter, but as the temperature rises, starting in February in the south, they begin to grow. And uh, with a bit of care and attention, you can have the most lovely mossy lawn uh, quite quickly. The first thing that um, you notice on the lawn in the spring, as I'm afraid, moss. And the moss is worse where it's shadier and the drainage is poor and the airflow isn't good. So... Moss grows at a lower temperature than grass, so it's a good idea to treat moss with a a moss killer. These are always based on um, iron sulphate, so you have to spread them pretty exactly, otherwise the grass goes a bit black. But if it does go black, it's not the end of the world, it comes back. So once you've dealt with the moss, um, that will help the grass to grow. You can also see what the soil is like, and... uh, It's a good idea if the soil is compacted, maybe you've had to walk over the lawn in the winter, is to stick your fork in and give it a slight wiggle and do that every foot until uh, you've got lots of holes and you've opened up that compacted turf a bit. If you're not feeling very strong, um, then use a a border fork. It'll take longer, um, but um, it's it's less tiring than using a big fork. You don't have to do it all at once. If you do um, a a couple of square metres a night, you'll get the job done without it having to be too back-breaking. Um, or you can hire a spiking machine if you want to. So having opened up the lawn and got rid of any compaction, uh, you can then think about whether there's a lot of thatch there. It's not a great idea to rake lawns and get the thatch out in the in the um, in the spring. So have a look at it. And you go down, look under the grass. If you see a thick mat like a, a doormat of dead um, grass and stems that is inhibiting the growth of the grass underneath and you probably will need to take a bit of action so very gently apply your lawn rake and a lawn rake is one of those um, delta shaped wire um, uh, contraptions that you uh, put you drag across the ground and it hooks out the dead grass and it hooks out the the uh, the thatch underneath but gently because the grass in spring is growing and has got um, delicate tips and if you go at it with a will um, you'll break off the delicate tips of the grass and put your lawn back. Now that you've got the soil in good condition uh, consider feeding the lawn. If it's a lawn that takes a lot of wear and tear and you want it to look really nice it's probably necessary to feed it and the simple way of doing that is to buy a lawn fertilizer and apply it as per the manufacturer's directions these have been formulated so that they don't scorch the grass some fertilizers will scorch the grass which means it looks as though it's been burnt so it's important to uh, to do that and also uh, if you can arrange to do it before the for rain is forecast it'll be that much better it'll be washed into the soil and less harm harm to the grass so now you've got grass that's um it's, it's got air around its roots it's very important for plants to have air around their roots it's not being smothered by moss with any luck i should say that when you're raking the thatch out you can also rake up the moss and um, discard that it can be composted if mixed in with plenty of other things so you've now got grass that's more or less moss free and it's growing strongly and grass grows at the lower temperature than weeds so and after a little fertilizer and as the weather warms up into april the weeds start growing at this position they're extremely vulnerable to lawn weed killer so it's important to apply lawn weed killers exactly as directed or you could damage the grass 
and also take note of the what you do with the mowings because the mowings can contain weed killer and if you put them in your compost heap their disaster may follow the simple answer is to mow very frequently so that all the mowings fall back into the grass and you don't have to gather any up it's really important to read the weed killer label because on there is often a, a warning that um, the weed killer can persist on cuttings and um, when you put the grass cuttings in the compost the weed killer is not destroyed in the composting process it is destroyed in the soil so the weed killer you put on your lawn isn't going to persist in the soil because the soil is full of microorganisms that break it down but the microorganisms in compost um, heaps can't be relied upon to break the weed killer down so it's very important to, to follow this particular procedure. And also, uh, councils don't care for treated lawn cuttings to be put in the green waste because obviously the municipal compost that is produced could be contaminated. So take advice on this if in doubt. Of course, lots of people don't bother to kill the weeds and that's perfectly acceptable. It's not a, it's not, um, a legal requirement that your lawn is weed-free and beautiful and green. A lot of people prefer a more mixed lawn and indeed a lot of people... Um, don't particularly worry if it's mown too frequently. In fact, often people have a really nice bit of lawn near the house and the rest of the grass um, is given a, a less intensive and less expensive treatment. Now, of course, once your grass is growing, we come to the mowing situation. If you can, um, get your mower sharpened before the mowing season. Um, you can either do this at home with a, a, a file or... Uh, you can take it to a lawn uh, maintenance for a uh, lawn machinery firm who'll do it for you. If it's a petrol mower, do remember to detach the lead from the plug. You must never work on a mower with the lead attached to the spark plug. And electric ones, obviously, um, don't attach to the electrical supply uh, while you're working on them. Mowing is extremely effective. Mowing is what makes a lawn. So ideally, select the, the height you want, which is probably going to be about two centimetres and uh, mow frequently it's much better to mow frequently than, than mow occasionally and then take a whole lot off naturally things get out of hand there's emergencies domestic emergencies and other things to do of course but if you find your lawn is getting quite tall take it down in increments so take off a third first and when it's recovered from that take off another third until it's down to that one or two inches two to five centimeters that one generally wants in a in a domestic lawn so now you should have a lawn that's growing reasonably strongly it is free of moss it's got an acceptable number of weeds in it the underlying soil is in good condition and hopefully the roots will have gone down and spread out deeply because by summer uh, the lawn is under stress some heat and dry periods and a well-grown lawn can, can sweat those out much more effectively than a lawn that is struggling. May. Barb's fade and herbaceous borders burst into life with colour, scent and foliage. One of my favourite plants at this time of the year are irises. Uh, all sorts of irises. Bearded irises and Siberian irises are probably amongst my favourites because because they're so fleeting in a way, they're something that really are the flavour of that particular month, early summer, you know it's arrived and then they're gone. So I think it's their fleeting nature that really appeals to me. You can also begin sowing outside and planting out bedding now. In many areas of the UK, it's now warm enough to take softwood cuttings. And of course, it's time for the RHS Chelsea Flower Show. Hi, I'm Tom Halfley, the new show manager for the RHS Chelsea Flower Show. So this year, the Laurent Perrier Garden, taking the whole triangle 
Um, that is as exciting as when I first heard the Australians taking the whole rock bank. It's it's a massive space. It's an iconic space for a show that's been going for 102 years. For that not to have happened, and now it's it's like a big garden. It's going to be amazing. Um, having Prince Harry back, like what was it, 2013 he was last there, back again now with Matt Kitely, that's a great, great story behind that garden. Joe Thompson doing the M&G garden, it's another amazing garden. So all the, all the show gardens are fantastic. Um, Artisan, I'd never really looked at as an exhibitor before. Obviously exhibiting in Fresh, that was always more my small category. Um, Artisan, some of the gardens there, the detail and the intricacies in those gardens is incredible. Um, and Fresh again, some of the ideas completely, I don't think people would think you could do a garden about some of those themes and they're, they're going to be incredible as well. And the Floral Pavilion. I think the Floral Pavilion is, is the favourite of the visitors to the Chelsea Flower Show. Everyone loves it. And it's amazing the quality of content that is constantly in that pavilion that I think we need to all spend more time probably in there looking because there's, there's tiny little stands and I think when it's got 10,000 people in it you can quite quickly miss things but it's constantly full of amazing exhibits and exhibitors take all day I suppose you can you can rush it and you'll miss a lot and it's those bits that you miss last year I found out from taking on this job bits I missed artisan retreats where there's craftsmen working away incredible that you craftsmen that you wouldn't probably not have the opportunity to see them working and their their stuff their the stuff they make actually exhibited at Chelsea um, but then also the there was, a, there was a thing about con, composting coffee cups last year in the marquee, like the cardboard ones you get from, say, from a, a coffee shop. It's just using them to and making compost from them. So a product that we all use on a day-to-day basis and actually being able to turn that from a, a, a waste product into a material that you can actually grow food from in the future. Things like that, people will just accidentally walk past because it's so crammed. I suppose my best tip to a new visitor would not to be overwhelmed because it's easy to get overwhelmed by being in that space with that many people. June. As the days lengthen towards the equinox on June the 21st, the extra light and warmth encourages the garden to put on an exuberant burst of growth. But the same is also true for the weeds. Remember to hoe regularly to keep those at bay. June is also a wonderful time for rose lovers. Here at Wisley in Surrey, the air is heady with the perfume of these gorgeous flowers. It almost makes you dizzy as you wander through the rose gardens. All four RHS gardens have fabulous displays of roses to visit. 2015 also saw the launch of the RHS Rose Show in London, which continues in 2016 on the 3rd and 4th of June. It's a great chance to celebrate England's favourite flower and to talk to specialist rose growers and florists. There'll be stunning rose displays, advice on rose care and varieties. Details, as always, are on the RHS website. July and the Verbena benariensis, the Argentinian vervain, and Echinacea purpurea, that's the purple cone flowers. They're all in the borders, humming with bees and colourful butterflies here at Wisley. When the weather is kind, July is a great time to sit outside and enjoy your garden. Keep a pair of snips to hand just to keep those plants looking good by regularly deadheading, and you'll enjoy a longer display of blooms. Make sure you keep new plants well watered, using grey water where you can. 
July also welcomes two of the RHS's most loved flower shows, Hampton Court Palace and the RHS flower show Tatton Park in Cheshire. In 2016, Hampton Court is from the 5th until the 10th of July. Tatton is from the 20th until the 24th of July. Explosions of colour and originality. Both shows also offer the opportunity to meet some of the best specialist growers in the UK to get in-depth advice on specific plants. Uh, I'm Marilyn Stevens and I am here with Roses UK which promotes roses for the British rose trade. We're in the uh, Festival of Roses marquee which is uh, a central point at the show, not far uh, from the long water and it's a spectacular celebration of garden roses. One of the great things about visitors coming to this show is that they can see many different varieties of roses with different habits and the rose exhibitors try to display them in a way that is a guide for the public to see how the roses would grow in their garden. So we have standard roses, half standards, we've got rambler roses trained up on uh, very lovely pergolas, we have floribundas, hybrid teas, modern varieties, English roses and we have the old roses as well. The rose of the year is um, called Sunny Sky. It's a hybrid tea. It opens uh, from uh, tight bud, which are the very typical classic hybrid tea shape, which is a sort of rich apricot yellow. And as the rose opens, it softens to soft lemon on the outer petals with a very warm citrus heart. It has a sort of light fragrance. It's not a heavily perfumed rose, but there is a light fragrance to it. It has fabulous dark green foliage, which offsets the flowers beautifully. It's a remarkably healthy plant, um, which is why it's won the Rose of the Year Award. It's actually Rose of the Year for next year, 2016. We're always a little bit ahead of the game. And it is actually bred by... Uh, a rose breeder in Germany, Cordes Roses, who are renowned for the health of their roses. August is usually one of the hottest months of the year, which means water is essential. Try to use grey water wherever possible. Now, grey water is just water that you might have used to peel vegetables in or um, just around and about in the house. Um, if you've had a bowl of washing up water, that's absolutely fine as well. August is traditionally holiday time, so you might need to enlist the help of friends and family to look after the garden while you're away. You can reward them with courgettes, beans and tomatoes, which are producing fruit in abundance. Hot-coloured dahlias are looking good. Tropical plants like cannas are in their element in the heat. And when you are at home, take the time to prune the summer flowering shrubs and remember to sit in the garden to enjoy the work of earlier on. We've had a question here from Sue Wheat, who's an allotment here in East London, and she says, My strawberries were new plants last year and didn't do very well, and again this year, not many, and the strawberries I got went soggy within hours, even in the fridge. Others said theirs did the same. Any ideas why? This was going to be the highlight of my summer. First thing to say is a lot of the better varieties of strawberries that you probably choose to grow at home do have thinner skins. 
and often they don't last very long they, they get ripe and particularly when we had that hot weather in early June actually they, they don't last very long at all they really want picking and eating within the sort of few hours if you can um, what you find is then quite quickly some of them start to go a bit sort of soggy looking around the edges and then do start to deteriorate quite quickly so it might be to do with the varieties because if you get the really good ones like Cambridge favourite they're very soft skinned so you don't get massive yields, but you get very lovely berries, but they don't last long. But with varieties like El Santa, for example, they're quite robust and obviously they're used in the shops commercially. But grown at home, they can have a superb flavour and they also last quite a long time. So you get the best of both worlds. I was going to say that um, normally uh, when you put out strawberries, you don't let them crop the first year because you want them to grow roots. And I wonder if in this dry year they haven't got enough roots to pick up enough water. And if you do, if plants don't pick up enough water, they don't pick up enough calcium. And calcium is very important in strengthening the cell walls. And I wonder here if the fruits are lacking calcium and therefore the cell walls are not very strong and therefore uh, they won't be as firm as they usually are. Fortunately, uh, this should not be a problem next year. So it sounds like really it's, uh, yes, we need cooler conditions when they're cropping to last longer, but um, then also it's a bit of weight, isn't it? You know, persevere with them and things should be better. Uh, but we want really now to cut them back, I think, don't we? Sort of rem- remove that excess foliage give them a good watering if the ground's not already wet and um, hopefully that will encourage a new flush of growth that will both tidy them up and then encourage the plants to bulk up for next year. I love September here at Wisley as the garden starts to take on its autumn glow and the trees begin to turn red and gold. I think also what I love about that time of year is that there's still so much happening, so much still to come. It's probably for a good couple of months. The tropical borders are looking at their very, very best and there's still so much colour from the, the hot tropical plantings. While there's not as much to do in the ornamental garden at this time of the year, if you have a fruit or vegetable patch, you'll be busy reaping the rewards of harvest. It's also time to get out and start planting spring flowering bulbs for next year, such as tulips and daffodils. Tulips can actually be planted much later, but there's a wide selection of bulbs available in the garden centre, so get planning and planting now. When you're selecting plants, it's vital to think about those that support beneficial wildlife, such as pollinating insects. They're absolutely vital to our existence. Researchers and entomologists at the RHS are running several studies into which plants and combinations of plants can provide the best support for beneficial insects. Hello there, it's uh, Andy Salisbury here, Principal Entomologist at RHS Garden Wisley. We're here in the Entomology Lab and today I'm going to talk about an experiment we've been running for the past uh, four or five years called Plants for Bugs. This experiment is a field experiment and what we were looking at is really is it natives that are best for wildlife in the garden? The experiment consisted of three different uh, treatments or three different plot types. So we had um, plants that are native to the UK, uh, pl- uh, plants that were we called near native, basically found in the northern hemisphere, places such as Europe, um, uh, Russia, no- uh, North America, which are closely related to native plants but not found here naturally. And the third different type of bed or treatment were what we termed exotic plants. Plants from the southern hemisphere, places such as South America, Australia, uh, South Africa. And these 
plots or beds were planted up to look a bit like a garden border. And for four years, we recorded the insects on them. And very recently, we launched, uh, released the first findings from this experiment as a scientific paper. And this was looking at the fly insect visitors to flowers, the pollinators, the bees, the butterflies, also the beetles that visit flowers, and things like the hoverflies and other flies that visited the flowers. And the results showed that, yes, we did get more pollinating insects on the native plants and what we termed the near natives. But we found that exotic plants tended to flower a bit later and extended the season. So we did see more pollinators uh, on the uh, exotic beds later in the season, which leads us to the conclusions. Basically, first of all, if you want uh, pollinators in your garden and lots of them, plant lots of flowers. And don't worry too much about where those plants have come from. You don't necessarily need to stick to native plants to get lots of pollinators. And probably the best advice is plant a, a very wide range of plants with a long flowering season from around the world. You can find out more about the Plants for Bugs project and other research being undertaken on the science pages on the RHS website. October. Pumpkins and the possibility of frost. Although we had some warmer days over September, the autumn is now definitely here and the cold is setting in. It's a beautiful time of year, with the trees changing colour and glorious fruit and veg. Autumn is celebrated by RHS harvest shows in London and in our RHS gardens, with fabulous vegetables, stunning autumn flowers and, of course, giant pumpkin competitions. It's Chris Smith from Pennard Plant. Growing this year, it's been a difficult year because we had a cold spring and then we had a really hot spell in the middle of the summer and now it's been cold and wet for a long time. But generally, I think in the vegetable garden, things have been going pretty well. We've had a few problems with blight uh, late on in the season because where we are in Somerset, it's been warm and damp. But generally, the squashes have been absolutely amazing. The beans have been good. Very late, but very good. Peas, we had an excellent crop early on. And the root crops generally have been pretty good on the whole. We're in Somerset, we're 400 foot up in the Mendips. Uh, we tend to get all the rain dumped on us, so it can be pretty wet at times. We've done a lot with the plot this year in that we put a lot of manure on, we've done a lot of mulching, and it's really surprising how well the things have done. Root crops, bit of a problem, don't try and put too much manure on because they can fork. But for the brassicas, the cabbages, absolutely amazing crops. I think we've had an abundance of squashes. Um, the damp weather has helped them. We planted them on top of loads of manure, so they've done really well. We've had some magnificent pumpkins as well. Not quite big enough to win prizes, but pretty big. I think that uh, the brassicas have done, as I said, have done very well too. And we've had quite an abundance of kale and uh, cauliflowers really early on everything came together so we perhaps put in a few too many we could have done with rotating them a little bit more but people are always happy to take them from us we had a bit of a problem with the tomatoes uh, the weather was very warm and damp in july and unfortunately they got blight and we lost the whole crop and had to destroy them november time to wrap up Tender plants, like bananas and canna lilies, will need protecting from frost, gales and freezing rains. Move plants into the greenhouse, or into a sheltered spot, but if you can't, it is worth wrapping plants in pots in situ. I love the ghostly look of the bubble-wrapped groups of cannas and tree ferns at Wisley in winter. It really is quite surreal. 
The soaring glasshouse at Wisley, home to the collection of tropical and temperate plant collections, is a fantastic place to be at any time of the year. But when the temperatures drop outside, its warmth seems even more attractive. Peter Jones, head of the glasshouse team, told us about some of the hidden gems of the plant collections it houses. come to the glass house at the moment you'll see one of my favorite plants which is victoria amazonica it's uh, the world's largest water lily and it's quite astonishing you can get lily pads that which will reach up to three meters across and they can grow up to 25 centimeters in a day and normally you'll see it, its trademark advertisement is when people like to balance a baby on the lily pad ours aren't quite that size yet we could job, probably just about manage a guinea pig but we're getting there so one of the cool things about victoria amazonica is when it flowers um, it's a very special flower. It's a large, about the size of your hand, um, and it's beautiful white in colour when it opens, and it opens with the sunrise, uh, and then during the day the flower generates a certain amount of heat where, and then gives off a fragrance of pineapples. And at the end of the day, as the sun sets, it closes, and as if by magic, the next day it turns a most beautiful pink colour. When it opens on its first day, the fragrance of the pineapple attracts insects, and as it closes, it can trap them inside. And then on the second day, when it opens as a male flower, it releases them out again. And also, quite a cool, interesting fact about the Victoria was it was the underside of the leaf has a beautiful structure, quite angular, and it was actually an inspiration for the design for Crystal Palace in 1851. Our Victorias are grown as annuals here at Wisley. We sow them as a seed in March. The seed is no bigger than a sweet pea seed. In fact, you treat it much the same way as you chip it to help it germinate. And in between March and May, it will get big enough for us to plant out and put outside in our outside water lily tank, or we do have some inside at the moment. These are extremely hungry plants, and we feed them constantly throughout the year with our homemade feed balls, which don't smell too pleasant, but they're just purely a combination of loam and blood, fish and bone. These feed balls that we make, and we have made them for years, are also ideal if you have water lilies in your own garden. They can help give your plant a bit of a boost if you've not had a chance to divide it and give it a new potting mix. And we tend to feed ours once a week, and that helps them get nice and big, and it also produces lots of extra flour. If you have water lilies in your own garden, as in the normal nymphaea, you can also feed those on a weekly basis, and that'll help produce extra flower and don't be afraid to deadhead them as you would do any other perennial in your garden. Another cool plant in the glass house which sometimes gets walked past without any notice is Gerodanthus macrorhizus. It is a superb plant, it's in the same family as cucumber and you'll notice if you uh, rub the foliage it does smell a lot like cucumber but its kind of key interest is it produces a large water storage system at the base of the plant which looks like a massive rock so when the plant's dormant in winter uh, and it has no top growth it looks like a large stone and you could easily walk past it without noticing at all that it is a plant and this water storage device has gradually gets bigger and bigger over the time and I would say it's at least doubled in size since we planted it in 2007 and it's just a very fun cool plant and during the summer it comes into growth and it produces lots of twining growth like a, a climber and we have it growing up one of our pillars in the arid zone. And my final favourite plant of the moment, which perhaps isn't the most showiest thing in the world, but it has a sentimental place in my heart, is Beshnoria chapinensis. This plant uh, is one of the only 
trunk-forming bechenorias in the country. So a bechenoria produces a growth a little bit like a cordyline, um, a little bit like one of those cabbage palms that you see in a lot of people's gardens. Now, this plant um, was one that myself and the Glasshouse team lifted from a famous cacti nursery, Hollygate Cactus Farm, in the southeast. And we did this in 2009. The nursery had closed a couple of years previously due to the death of the owner. And we visited this nursery and we saw this plant and we thought it must be saved. So it, there was four of us and we dug up this plant out straight out of the nursery and we brought it here and planted it. And after a couple of years of sitting and being sulking a little, it's finally come into growth and it, it holds a lot of dear memories for me. There are so many different plants in the glasshouse with interesting stories and tales behind them. So please come and have a look around the glasshouse and feel free to ask any of the team and we'll be able to help you and point out something different that you might not necessarily notice. December, the year's end. Frost, rainfall and winds are increasingly common. Sunshine hours are much reduced and it can be bitter with a risk of snow. You may not want to be working outside at this time of year, but luckily there's not a lot to do. Keep an eye on winter protection, and if you have a greenhouse, make sure the heater works. It's time to think about pruning apples and pears too. See our video on the gardening pages of the website about how to get the best harvest next year. And, oh, it's Christmas! Marion Armitage has emailed in from Newcastle. How can I encourage my holly to produce more berries and stop the birds from eating them all before Christmas? Well, I think the crucial thing here, you must make sure you, that your holly tree is a female and that somewhere not too far away is a, a male tree. Um, several females to one male will do. It can be quite confusing because you'll find that uh, golden king, for example, is female, whereas golden queen or silver queen are males. Probably the best thing to do if you're purchasing plants is check the label. It will often indicate whether they're male or female. Um, the RHS plant finder will also give you that uh, indication. So uh, the first thing, check you've got the right sex. Just to confuse matters, there is one that's more likely to be a bit self-fertile as well. And that's called J.C. Van Toll. Uh, we often think of hollies as being very spiky uh, with their leaves, lots of prickles on the edges. This one's got a nice smooth edge, um, but it does have lots of very good red berries too. So one to consider if uh, you haven't got a lot of hollies around you and you're wondering with pollination to get the fruit is going to be an issue because there aren't, anyone, aren't any other plants and there isn't room in your garden to put more plants in to get the fruit. I think it's going to be very difficult, unfortunately, to stop the birds getting the berries. Um, and I think, let's face it, the birds need the berries probably more than we do. So let's let's have a little bit of sharing. Um, I did one year um, pick a load of holly with berries on, thinking that I was going to sneak the berries away from the uh, birds before Christmas so I could use them for Christmas wreaths, pop them into the shed, came back a few weeks later, not a single berry left, or the little mices has had them instead. So, yeah, I think we just need to... Throw in the towel, let nature do what it does best, which is use our gardens to the full and enjoy the berries. One thing you could try is maybe looking for a holly that's got um, yellow berries because those will probably last that little bit longer. Birds have an uh, innate tendency to go for reds first before other colours. 
So that's things like uh, Fructio Lutea, isn't it? Which has, um, they're quite golden yellow, aren't they? They're quite pretty. And they make an interesting talking point when you do add them to a wreath because uh, you can explain to people what they are as well as um, being something sort of, of horticultural interest. And so the year draws to a close, but even in the depths of winter, there's beauty and even scent to be enjoyed in the garden, wherever you are. Let's hope that 2016 blossoms into an even more productive year for gardeners all around the UK. Remember all our RHS Gardening podcasts for 2015 and from previous years are available to download and listen to at any time on iTunes. Ideal entertainment for the potting shed in the colder months. So from me, Jenny Bowden and all the RHS Gardening podcast team, goodbye. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.